I think, and I mean, I could totally be wrong. A lot of other comedians write jokes because they want their jokes to be funny. And I want people to find me funny. Hi, welcome to Running the Light. I'm your host, David Kalsgaard. With me as always, Jeremy Plum. This week, we are talking to Winslow Dumaine, a very talented stand-up comedian and artist, originally from Omaha, now out of Chicago. Check out his website, winslowdomain.com, for all the stuff that he's working on, both art and comedy. What we're talking about this week is actually very interesting. We are talking about how can you be in two places at once when you're not anywhere at all by the Firesign Theater, released in 1969. What's up? If you want to see me, I will be at the Big Canvas Theater on March 14th hosting a show. I will also be at the Big Canvas Theater on March 21st. And if you want to know my thoughts uh, every day, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Plum Jeremy. And if you want to see me live March 6th, I will be at the Big Canvas Theater. March 7th, I will be at the Backline Theater in Omaha. March 15th, I am going to be headlining the Comedy Loft in Lincoln, Nebraska. And then the 20th and 21st, I will be opening at the Comedy Loft. Then on March 26th, I'll be headlining the Panic Bar. If you want more information about where to get tickets for any of those shows, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at David underscore Kalsgaard. That's K-O-U-S-G-A-A-R-D. And you can find me on YouTube under the same name, David Kalsgaard. And that's everything. Let's enjoy the show. Shaka bra. I've had someone go on a date with me because I would because of what they saw on stage, and I went, "No, that is a horribly bad idea. I am not the same person." Yeah, I got a couple of them too. She actually uh, she was really interested in me after seeing me do a show, and then nothing happened because I wasn't into that kind of thing. But then she ended up giving me a whole bunch of uh, model boats. So I don't know <laughs> what I'm supposed it's, to do with that. It's what, never what a, a normal weird, ending. What a weird dowry that is. <laughs> yeah, I know. Fuck off. I, I like how maybe Winslow was talking to you and didn't know you were David for like a minute. That's the nice thing about my voice. It's uh, it's very chameleon-esque. It blends in. It's, there's nothing <laughs> discerning about it. But you know who isn't uh, who isn't chameleon-esque and always stands out in the crowd is our guest, good friend, and Chicago uh, comedian and artist, Winslow Dermain. Thank you for doing the show, Winslow. What's going on, boys? Just enjoying the nice, beautiful weather here in Nebraska and uh, just uh, happy to be here, kind of, which is weird. K- kind of. I still like how you qualify your happiness, even though it's a beautiful I day. have the underlying depression, so, like, I can't, like... <laughs> I can't. I can't just make it a hundred percent. I'm interested. I'm, I'm. I'm glad that I got you guys to listen to Firesign because I've been trying to get every comedian I know to listen to this stuff because it's some of the smartest written comedy I've ever seen. If you listen, if you actually read what they're saying, there's like so many fucking layers to it. I have a book of the scripts that I was listening to. I was listening to them and, and reading the script along uh, to catch all the little like subtextual stuff. That um, I would love to read this. Yes, that would have been very helpful for me listening to it. Yeah. I listened to uh-huh. it probably three times and I was still catching stuff each time. Every time yeah. I was going through it. Uh, but the uh, album we are talking about today is How Can You Be in Two Places at Once When You're Not Anywhere at All by the Firesign Theater, released in 1969. Well, here goes. Nice feel. 
Let's see. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, how can you be in two places at once when you're not anywhere at all? Dun, bum, bum. I think I'll give this old baby a spin on the freeway. Wrong way. It's just so good. This is what I listened to growing up. Really? A lot of oh, yeah. a lot of stuff is making sure. sense now. Yeah, this yeah. is explaining a lot about Winslow. Because I, I just I want there to be in in art and in comedy and everything. I like it when you can keep coming back to it and you keep seeing new things and new references and new layers to yeah. how it all fits together. You know, like there were things during the uh, Nick Danger. I should explain that this is a, a sketch comedy show, a sketch comedy radio type of uh, it's, play. It's like a, it's a radio drama. Film noir stand-up. It's a film noir right. comedy radio drama. Yes. Sort of. Um, Which is a lot of words that I didn't know existed until you right. asked us to listen to Is this your first thing. radio play? No, I've listened to radio plays in the past, but I'd never listened to like a comedic radio play. Like, mm-hmm. There had always been dramas. That's fair. Okay. And uh, on a personal note, listening to this, this was something I had to listen to multiple times. David and I have talked about this. I like being like affronted and challenged with what I listen to and mm-hmm. having a hard time understanding what's going on. I love that. This, this was a wall of noise for a while. And then I had to go back and it's, I liked that. Like I liked, I, I liked being exhausted at the end of this. Cause that's what it felt like exhausting in a mm-hmm. good way. Yeah. There's, there's just like what I, what I think about, art and comedy. I think like you write the base material and then you sit down and you twist every possible thing to make it as jagged and as weird and as interesting as possible. I, when I'm writing, I don't like to use the same words in the same sense. I want every set, uh, re word to be different throughout the paragraph, right? They have a way of, of, making so that every single line has something little, little twist to it uh, even if it's just a setting up for the punchline like in the and there's like little subtextual stuff like they have that thing where they go back to um, in germany where they just have like a quick cut over to germany and you can hear the crowd chanting instead of the instead of saying Zeke Heil, they say sig freud sig freud <laughs> <laughs> okay i listened I, to that three times and i did not catch same, that one same yeah yeah I, I, there's just and also they have that the thing with the, the guy is singing is for the listeners right now that none of this is going to make any sense unless you've listened to the first track Yes. Because right now I'm just looking at the script for the first track. But they have um, a play on the Yankee Doodle song where he says, Yankee Doodle came to terms writing Martin Buber, stuck a fear in his back and called it Schickelgruber. Schickelgruber is the last name of Hitler's dad. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I did not get that pun. And yeah. It's not pun, but yes. It, it, right. gets, it gets called back to later. Uh-huh. In the episode as well. Yeah. yeah, it does during a babes and khakis. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That was that was fun for me. I, I, I watching old war movies a lot. I think I told David this. It feels like a mad magazine set in a gulag. Yes. Because uh, <laughs> this, this kind of came out at the same time of Mad Magazine that they both really it is. each other. It, it did feel like, yeah, a, a kind of a Kurtzman kind of like just 
everything's thrown at once kind of type of thing. And I was thinking about growing up, I grew up in the night. When's I don't know, you're older than me, right? Yeah, by a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I'm 91. Yeah. Okay, cool. And I'm I'm a spry 85. So um I <laughs> oh fuck. I thought you meant 91 as in he was making a joke about being for I fuck off, man. Wait, when were you born? How did you forget the conversation you were having mid-conversation? <laughs> I got rich to laugh. That's all that matters. I thought he was saying he's yeah, 91 but not years on old. On purpose. None of my jokes are on purpose. I've learned. I'm born in 94. But growing up in that, I've I've encountered Nickelodeon style sketch comedy where noise comedy is just a bunch of fucking nonsense. Uh-huh. This type of noise nonsense is. There's still something, there's a thread you can grab everywhere. It's just you have to find it through the day. Right. And that's that, that's a very specific trait that I could learn, but it's uh, it's done masterfully they, here. They have another one. I think it's it's either Don't Crush That Dwarf, Hand Me the Pliers. There's another one of the records. <laughs> God damn um, the names of these things are all great, too. Uh, or Waiting for the Electrician or Someone Like Him. And they were they they write from a, a larger perspective where they'll write down this is actually a story of a man told in four parts but they blend it all together um so it's like his young adulthood his young uh or his childhood his young adulthood his adulthood and his old age and so they'll, they'll tell all of these vignettes of his life but they will just completely smear it all together so it's you have to really know what's going on and understand why the character is suddenly an old man. Kind of like a uh, slaughterhouse five is what that reminds me of a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's like a lot of uh, a blending of the whole storyline. You have to just kind of really open your mind. And I think that the, one of my favorite things that I keep thinking back to is uh, towards the end of how could you be in two places at once? There's actually track titles, but I never learned them because I only knew it off the, because I only listened to it on the record. Yeah, this is the, one of the only only records I have. I have this and I have a metal album. I only own two two records, but all of these things are very on brand for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they click the the TV over, and it's the guy going, "Oh, I hate cops. I've always hated cops. You know, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get revenge on every rotten cop in this city. Like, how are you gonna do it? How are you gonna do it?" And he goes, "I'll tell you what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna I'm gonna turn in my badge." And I think that's the funniest. <laughs> I paused and laughed audibly. That was so fucking That's funny to me. Fucking funny. And one of the yeah. voices sounded like Kermit the Frog also was like a dirty uh-huh. cop. Fucking loved yeah. it. It was great. How does this, because I, I listening to this, Gatorade should be thicker, made way more sense to me now. Uh-huh. How, sure. how does this influence your comedy? I think what it, especially when I was first starting in comedy, I just, it was a whole brand new world for me where I just wanted to, I wanted to twist every possible thing I could. And so if you listen to a lot of my early stuff or my, or my early comedy writing, a lot of it is lots of twists on words. Basically, I just wanted to have jokes, but I also wanted to go on stage and say the strangest things possible mm-hmm. that may or may not be non sequiturs. Um, <laughs> and now I, I just, I guess I think in a different way where I think more of like, this will be rewarding for people if they actually stop what they're doing and think about it. Yeah. Like, a, like sliding a pun in uh, when people don't without going like, and that's the joke. Like, here's the punchline. Just kind of, 
putting a little bit of a, a, an extra twist in there. My favorite um, early era Winslow joke was that stuck with me for years. Is, Do you ever drink water in the middle of the night? So you have a reason to wake up in the morning. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. That was when, because it's funny, because when I first started doing comedy, I was in one relationship that wasn't really working out. And shortly after that, I was in a different relationship that, that also didn't quite work out. And so my first stuff was just kind of like fucking around, saying funny things, being like a, a jackass on stage. And then once I had my heart broken, I just started writing these really dark, like de profundis kind of like suicide jokes. And that's when I really started like, oh, this can be a, a, a funny way to explore feelings with jokes you know because that's what at the end of the day i want to give somebody an overwhelming sensation a strong feeling of any kind i want them to feel something intensely after going through my art or or seeing me perform i don't want it to just be funny you know what i mean yeah. right you want to be funny with a purpose right and so that's kind of where the firesign theater stuff comes in because there is such a strong narrative across where you are telling a lot of random jokes um, but you you do have a strong, if, if surreal, a strong but surrealistic uh, narrative that unites all of these things together. Like especially like with with the main character, Babe, uh, he buys a car. That's the first thing that happens in the in the script, and so he has all the things introduced to him. Then he starts driving, and then they introduce the idea of the the road signs are the cars reading the road signs back to him or the road signs are reading themselves to him yeah it's a xeno paradox yeah yeah and so you'll hear like the first road a uh, wrong way entering freeway emergency parking only and then you'll hear and this is something that me and my dad will quote back to each other always is um antelope freeway one mile and then a little bit later antelope freeway half a mile then a little bit later antelope freeway one one quarter mile and then they go all the way to what is it Antelope Freeway, one five hundred sixteenth of a mile. <laughs> Infinitely small, like subdivisions of time. The the one thing that I noticed throughout this whole thing is it, that I guess I, I also kind of see in your comedy writing is every time that they would essentially transition scenes, mm-hmm. like they would. He's playing around with the features of the car, and he's like climate control. Well, let's see what options I have here, and then he actually settles on a climate, and then. He is taken to uh-huh. the actual climate and then that becomes the new reality you just they keep taking steps further and further away from a realistic situation getting very absurd with it but always establishing like this is a new thing now right this is not whatever it was happening before sure remember it but that's not happening anymore now that is right. gone yeah. we are now in a tropical climate and now we're going to a pharaoh's tomb which is a motel apparently it just it keeps getting further and further away but establishing itself in a basis yeah. of reality so that it doesn't just completely go off the rails right and it's interesting because there would be it's it's so much more funny because it's giving you such a, a small amount of information yes they if they had if this was a full visual thing and they had to express all of these sort of things. It would there's so many jokes that would be lost. Like there's a point where the the pyramid is opening up, and one person goes, "Which one?" And the other guy goes, "The, the one with the, the ever widening hole." <laughs> yeah, that's so fucking funny. It is a great like, show. It, it's, it's, it's exactly what it what it means to open up, and it's just 
Oh uh, yeah, here it is. The one with the ever widening hole in it. Um, <laughs> and some of those jokes, by the way, you read to me, I couldn't get in a audio medium. Like you told me that one of the uh in the Nick Danger sketch, one of the the sign he's reading off is Nick Danger backwards. Yes. I'm actually thinking of getting that tattooed. <laughs> uh, Nick Danger, um, He's a he's a private eye, and he's taking these different uh, contracts, and they're all like very film noir. Yes. So it's him sitting at his desk, and he's for whatever reason listening to the rain drop on his desktop, which means that there's no roof, um, oh, or he's just outside, uh, and he's looking at the 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 glass on his door, and it says. Rignan Kassin, which is Nick Danger backwards, which I think is the funniest fucking thing. There's something with that absurdity. Like, we've all, I think we've all done improv at least once, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And so bad improv, and we've all done bad improv, does this thing that a coach has told me as called putting rocket parts on cars, where it is uh-huh. just eccentric for the sake of eccentric and there's no basis for it there's no curve that leads up to it it just is it goes through its final structure and it's wacky for the sake of wacky none of right. this i would call wacky for the sake of wacky i mean there's it's sort this- of it's absurdist it's surreal so it's surreal for the sake of being surreal but it's not it, it escalates it escalates and grounds itself appropriately right to have a reality i'm looking at the script now for for nick danger and one of my favorite things that I still quote, like to this day, even though here's the thing with Firesign theater fans, there are so many of them who like, we basically speak to each other in Firesign theater quotes. Like my dad can have full conversations in Firesign theater quotes. Uh, Cause these guys, this, I give you one record. There's, it's just enormous amount of oh, yeah. material. I went to the nineties. Yeah. I looked yeah. up their discography and it is, impressive it's yeah. yeah it's insane um i used to risk listening to them when i'd be playing like world of warcraft because it's just such a I, there's so much that you can listen to I, but, I don't think i could do anything else while listening to this like i was answering yeah. a text message and i had to pause just to focus on a text message there i couldn't once you listen to it for long enough you kind of get the pattern of how they write it okay um but there's still a lot of hidden stuff i think one of my favorite ones was um he Nick Danger stops to go the find a place to go to the bathroom and um, he, where am I? You can't get there from here, but I'm looking for the old same place. Oh, you mean the old same place? It's right out back. He gives him the key and then it just immediately cuts to four hours later. And it's like, <laughs> Nick Danger took like a four hour shit in the middle of the store. <laughs> and the fucking the scene where they go into the the, the portrait gallery, it's the safest room in the mansion. And he goes, nobody can hear us here. What? I said, nobody can hear us here. What? <laughs> yeah. Nobody can hear. What? And it's just, what? And it's the fucking, there's yeah. so many, it's it's like they're sitting down making jokes about the fact that they're writing something. Yeah. You know what I mean? They were like, it, that's one thing that I really enjoyed with this when I was listening to it is that they would make, I mean, A, there was a lot of jokes that reminded me a lot of like, Monty Python esque jokes, yeah. like the very true, yeah, uh, or, or Brooksian. No, nobody, can, yeah, nobody can hear us in here. What? But the other thing, they would make jokes about things that normally would get ignored, mm-hmm. small little things like in the Nick Danger sketch when he sees his name backwards on a door. You don't need to mention that, but then they decide right. to make a joke about it. Like they, when they are painting a scene in a world, they are 
going into such depth and detail. They're looking at every single facet of what they can make a joke about in this specific situation. I guess having seen you do stand up a lot in our time knowing each other, I very much see that in a lot of things that you write and do. You'll take two seconds to go on a side joke that is not related to the main story or narrative that you were telling in this joke you're already telling, but it's fun. It's goofy. And normally it would just be overlooked, but you did not You saw the thing right. that you can make a joke about. So you made a joke about it. Is that how you jagged a, jo- a jack? No, make a joke jagged. Yeah, is um, that how you make a joke jagged? Yes. The, okay. There's a lot of different ways to, to approach comedy. And I, I know that this is not necessarily considered like the smartest way necessarily. There's no smart um, way to do comedy. <laughs> right, right. But I mean, it does break a rule. If somebody says do eight minutes, I'll plan for nine and a half. And then I'll, because I, I want to have as much shit going on to my set as possible because I want it to be uh, syntactically dense. I want it to have yeah. a lot of motion, a lot of ideas. And I, I want to just kind of re because it, it's a competition, you know, when every show is its own competition Which to go what? out there and, and perform as best as you possibly fucking can, because after every show, I want to be the guy that people are talking about. And so if I go up there and give a really intense performance with a lot of moving parts, then I think that, you know, I come away winning. And so when it comes to like really defining a joke and like exploring things, I just try to move fast because if this was made for television, there'd be a laughter break every six seconds and you'd get nothing done. Right. Yes. But it's, it's, uh, it's very much in the same vein as the naked gun, or yes, uh, that's exactly what this reminds me of. Yes, or airplane or any of those yes, movies. Yes, there's just like a laugh a minute, moving really fast, no time to pause, and if you like, you blink, you'll miss it, kind yeah. of thing. Even even the titles were jokes. Zeno Evil, I liked a lot. Not only as a philosophy major who knew about Zeno's paradox, but Zeno Evil is a fucking pun. Uh, Zeno Evil. But I have right. a couple questions about your process that you ha- that you just said. Go for it. Let's say you plan the eight minute set. You plan for nine and a half. Do you still do you try to fit all nine and a half in an eight minute, or do you know I'm gonna just, I, I can cut? I I generally will feel it out for time. I time my closing sets to my closing bits to be about sixty seconds, um, and I can put those hopefully wherever I can, and then I just have a lot of things I can just pepper in throughout. Yeah. And the idea of making jokes jagged is every aspect of it should be colored. Like the, I don't remember what it's from, but it's like, don't say that you were very tired. Say that you were exhausted. You know, don't uh, just say, right, exactly. Like you really need to lean into everything because people can can consume a lot more information by hearing it, then they can express by speaking it unless you really uh, refine your language and make it so it's like, it's like, you know, you speak the way that Twitter has taught you, which is you need every word to be as punchy as possible. And, you know, I just want it to be a wall of emotion, a wall of, of information, even if it's not all received. Well, that's one thing that I noticed Again, watching you do comedy for so long, there are times when I would be seeing you do jokes 
the the joke itself wouldn't change, but I would come away with a different thing each time I watched the joke, mm-hmm. just because you are sending that wall of information and wall of emotion out there that you're picking up different subtleties mm-hmm. each time you watch it. It makes you a very interesting comedian to watch more so than others where, I mean, that's a good joke. They wrote a good joke, but right. I got it the first time they told me it. Yeah. Because I think, and I mean, I could totally be wrong, a lot of other comedians write jokes because they want their jokes to be funny. And I want people to find me funny. Mm, um, let's talk, let's talk a little bit more about what that means. Yeah. Cause that's a, that's okay. a really good point. What does that mean? People have asked me cause I do, I do a lot of art, right? Like I'm a, I am an illustrator and I'm a comedian. And so people ask me uh, what I would pick and I never, I never pick. I just say, I, I want both. I'm going to have both. I just want to create something that, all comes back to me. So I have a, I don't have a page for my comedy. I don't have a page for my art. I have a page for when's the domain artists. Mm-hmm. Right. And it sounds arrogant, sounds egotistical, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, there are some people like, is it egotistical for any person who wants to be a great artist to pursue all of those things to be a great artist? It's egotistical for any of us to get on stage and, and take the, the attention of an entire room to tell us what we think is funny. It's just the differences that I believe in myself. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. like, you know what I mean? If, yeah. you, if you go ask a local comedian, are you an artist? I think a lot of them will try and jokingly scoff at the idea. Fuck, I do sometimes because I don't right. like calling myself an artist. But what we are doing is an art form. And I would, I mean, the argument for me, comedy being an art form it depends on how you're doing it. I would argue that my comedy is not necessarily an art form. It is entertainment, but not an art form like you Winslow and like a uh, uh, Sean White, when he was doing his album, yeah. uh, dead and gone, like mm-hmm. that is artwork. Like that I is think- impressive to watch. There are multi- it's, you can go, you can walk into something, enjoy it, and then leave and take away a different experience that somebody else next to you took. And I don't think that you can do that with most regular stand-up performances because that's not what most stand-up comedians aim to do. I, I disagree. I, I disagree. I think the only time the only time art isn't art, it's like when I think of something not being art, I think of like hotel paintings. Paintings that are only made to be commercially viable and not made to express anything. They're just made to take physically take up space. Whereas your local comic, your Winslow Domains, your David Kalsgaard, your Jeremy Plums, uh, you know, the greats. And uh, they're- You're not gonna laugh for me on that one. I'm not, and I was just <laughs> waiting to be scolded because I was bad. But like, even then we're not going up on stage to simply take up space. We're going up there to express an ideal, to maybe try out something new, to use words in a way that create an emotion, even if it's just laughter and that's art, no matter how pop art it is. Mm. <laughs> Let that be your only rebuttal. <laughs> it will be, uh, but no, there, there are definitely, I don't know. I would, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily claim it egotistical to say that you want to do all of these things. No. Winslow, are you still with us? Hello, Winslow. He left the room while we were talking. Yeah. Did we say something wrong? <laughs> I'm going to message him and say, can you hear Oh, us? Winslow is texting me right now. Hang on. This shit is broke. Uh, oh, his, his own computer. <laughs> what was the last thing he heard? Was it me or was it you? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But we're keeping that recording in because it was 
It was good. I didn't think my point about the uh, the art. Yeah, it made sense. And I guess I, I get I, it. Well, I think most of it comes down to is, is if you're trying to be an artist, if you actually consider yourself an artist, like that is more up to you. So I, have, I guess, like, I, do you want to? Are you trying to be an artist, if, or are you trying to be something else? If like, I make music and I paint, right, yeah. and then it elicits an emotion from somebody, and I call myself a, a taxidermist, am I not an artist? Wait, you just said that if you make music or if you paint and you call yourself a taxidermist, no, it makes you insane because you don't know what your profession is. <laughs> well, that's all, okay. Maybe I won't be as, as silly. I paint and I make music that is uh, emotionally affecting people. Yeah. Right. Um, but I don't call myself an artist. I call myself a hobbyist. Am I not still making art and therefore, by definition, an artist? Not if you don't want to be one. Other people can consider you other things. I think Winslow attempting to be an art. He knows he wants to be an artist. He wants to be called an artist. I am not so much attempting. Like, when I think about this, I don't think I'm a trying to attempt an art form. I think I'm just, I'm trying to entertain. So you're, so, so it's a, it's a, it's a slight difference it's not like it's one's worse than the other no no but winslow is definitely artist he is trying to elicit emotional response he knows what that he's trying to do that and he's trying to make it a deep impactful meaningful work i'm doing similar things but i don't want to call myself an artist like that's just i think that's the main difference on whether or not so it's you you consider it's you calling it yeah it's it's a personal thing like, because I, I consider Winslow and uh, people like Mike Birrigley when he does did his one-man plays, the first two, the other yeah. the other ones have kind of just been not great. Or like Chris Gethard when he did Career Suicide. Like, that is a piece of art. So my question is, can someone consider you an artist, but you don't consider yourself an artist? And if so, are you an artist? You're still an artist. Yeah, you're, you're making... Like I do that you don't consider yourself an artist, you said. Yeah, like you're still making mm -hmm. art. Like by definition, artist is a person that makes art regardless of if they call themselves that. Like a plumber, if I fix a, my toilet, I'm still a plumber for that job, regardless if I call myself a plumber. I don't know. I guess I just, I've never really thought. I, I, thought I can, of, He can hear us. Oh. <laughs> but he can't respond. Yes. He has a mouth, but he cannot scream. <laughs> uh, oh, shit. Sorry, Wesley. Let's We're, call again. These headphones are broken. Okay, we'll give him a call. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. Now Winslow has heard both of our sides. <laughs> How much of that could you hear, by the way, Winslow? Um, yeah, I could hear all of it. I heard, I heard all the, uh, oh, the, the only reason we went on that side <laughs> change is because we thought we had lost you entirely. <laughs> so we were just doing like our own little side conversation <laughs> that wasn't going to be on the podcast. Oh, and it's but now going to yeah, be on it. Now it's going to be on it because yeah. now we want you to weigh uh, in. Yeah. Time. Did, did, okay. did you at least hear me yell? I have a mouth and I cannot scream. Cause I'm a little proud of that. I didn't. I was. Fuck. I had read your text message and you're saying that you can hear him. Uh, you can hear us. And then you couldn't say anything. And then I yelled uh, like proudly. I have a mouth and I cannot scream. I did take a literature class. So I get the joke. It's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> our, our one listener in Japan, I think will like that a lot. I don't know why I picked that one, but like, I feel like Omaha, eh. <laughs> it'll see through my bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> Where were we? 
Oh damn, Richard, yeah. where were we? Fuck. Um, let's how about this? Let me change the topic and talking about the what. I'm not gonna say a criticism, but like what might be harder for people to listen to when it comes to this is that uh, this is a this is physically exhausting, intentionally exhausting. I think. Uh, yeah, what I think it is is it's a very specific kind of stoner humor. I mean, it's, it's that's what it's called. I mean, that's that was the whole genre that they were a part of is the, the like stoner comedy yeah. genre. Because when I listened to this thing on Spotify, the next recommendation was Cheech and Chong. Really? Yeah. Because in my head, those are to- two different types of comedy. One is slower than the other. I mean, they these guys were pretty revolutionary for just how fast they go. Yeah. Um, and how dense it is. Yes. But I think that... Um, you know, it, it, it's in the library. This is like one of the records that was so famous that ended up in the Library of Congress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they got so, the Beatles of comedy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. These guys did tons of stuff. They were one of the first people when XM first launched their XM satellite radio. These guys were the first guys to be put on there. Oh, that'd be cool. Um, yeah, they did. They've done all, all sorts of stuff. So they do a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the density is really what helps it um, keep going in, in sense of like you can you can listen to this multiple times because I only buy a comedy album if I'm really going to if I really want to support the artist because once you yeah. hear it once twice you're good um, unless they've got a really really unique voice but this I, I definitely I listen to several times yeah this. I'm going to be listening it tonight probably again. Yeah, you you yeah. pretty much have to listen, listen to it. it. Um, you should listen to there, – there's a few others. Let me find them. But um, Waiting for the Electrician and, or Someone Like Him. And then uh, the one that's about the Native Americans is amazing. I'm a little nervous about that one, especially after the Lonesome American track in, on this one that mm-hmm. had just that slew of racial slurs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a different time. Yeah, uh, and it was a parody of like I'm. A, I've not read the thing they're parodying, like this. Uh, what makes America great, or what makes America proud, or something. I assume it's naturalistic and like almost propaganda-ish. The thing they're parodying, but essentially, essentially for the listeners, that what that joke is, I is what I am uh, interpreting from it is that it's the, the rich was uh, propped up on the backs of uh, the less unfortunate, uh, you know, misenfranchised, uh, disenfranchised. Yeah, I mean, these guys like worked a lot with, with the, the, that kind of humor highlighting exactly how fucked up things are, but not doing it in this like fire and fury kind of way, but this like kind of uh, dark and kind of, a, it's kind of a black humor. But it is uh, still done without the melodrama of like really evoking the sorrow of the actual history. Like again, think Uh, Mad Magazine almost in a way. How fucked up and absurd is this world rather than just how fucked up in this is this world plus it's absurd, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it leans into the absurdity of the world just hand over fist it's really it's really absurd and that's what i liked about it like uh i think you win the award of most obscure comedy album or most obscure thing that we've talked about on this podcast 
I mean, um, it's not even obscure. It's in the Library of Congress. It just came out, you know, 50 fucking years ago. Yeah. We've done a lot of Netflix specials on the podcast. Yeah, yeah there's a, yeah. a lot of people choose things that have happened in like the past decade or so. But going back and seeing what comedy's like, like a comedy was like in this time frame is always nice and refreshing because I had no idea this existed. Same. Like, even, even though my parents were born around the time... Well, they were born in the early 60s, so they only would have been like 10 when a lot of these things were coming out. So they probably wouldn't have been as in tune with it as like their parents, parents might have right. been. But seeing something like this and going back and listening to it, I don't know, it, it's a nice perspective about things in comedy that are just automatic truths. Like these are going to work and do well and be successful comedy and things that have aged out of comedy. And it's a nice refresher yeah to, or not a refresher but it's nice to see that because it right. helps you get an understanding of where you are in the comedy landscape there yeah there are different forms of comedy that just for lack of a better term don't exist anymore like uh i was watching dolomite and i was ha watching him go through his set in the middle of the movie and that's just a style of stand-up you don't see anymore or I, don't know, I can't think of any other forms, but yeah, this and Dolomite are the two that come to my head about things that just don't happen anymore. These guys get to put out, have to put out an album that's just ready to go and funny. Like anytime that any of our favorite comedians put out a record, that's, that's the jokes that they've been working on for five years now, you know, that they've been really crafting. Um, and these are, these guys have to be as a team working together, writing this really out there stuff that's not so out there that it's incomprehensible. Because some of their other stuff is like, it's hard to track because it's so out there. That, um, that excites me. <laughs> yeah, because they they get fucking weird, and that's what I think is so impressive. And that's before I before I even did comedy. That's what I wanted to do was I wanted to write like weirdo funny radio dramas and before i mean I've, I've scrubbed the internet of any reference to this but um i did a radio comedy version of two of my favorite bible stories before i ever um even went on stage as as a comedian when winslow when you're in omaha again i need this it's practically unlistenable because it was like it was literally before i learned how to do comedy in any capacity so it was just like goofball bullshit that you did with your friends what are your yeah. two favorite bible stories i'm gonna guess i'm gonna guess the story of job is that one of them no it was um the agony in the garden and the last supper because there's a lot of weird shit that happens in those stories that uh people don't really yeah. talk about yeah yeah, being, having been raised religious, you go through those stories quite a bit and you just like, you just ignore a lot of things Yeah, about mm -hmm. it you Be, because you're trying to get to the main, the main point of that weekend, which is when the <laughs> Easter bunny shows up and that's well, the Bible famous for its filler episodes, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's very Dragon Ball Z. It is. Well, <laughs> it's Dragon Ball Z. If almost all of it is the garlic junior arc. Yeah. Yeah. It's all the fucking power level. Oh, I didn't think, I didn't yeah, think this is where it would go, and I'm happy. <laughs> I don't think I've been challenged. Like, I, I got, I've done, like, 35 episodes of this, uh, and very few uh, things that I've listened to have I actually been challenged. I think the closest mm -hmm. was getting angry with listening to Kinnison was the closest to being challenged. 
Uh, right. Well, yeah, because that's just kind of unlistenable. It is. Uh, it is just purely <laughs> unlistenable. And it was late Kinnison, too, so it was just pure dog shit. That's just pure cocaine rage right there. No, that's yeah. just racism. <laughs> like, cocaine doesn't make you racist. If I were to give you guys some homework, they have a Best of Firesign Theater. It's a two-CD set. It's called Shoes for Industry, the Best of Firesign Theater. And it's got... The opening track is called Temporarily Humboldt County, which is THC, obviously. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> it's, it's basically all of the weirdest shit that they did. I, I, liked, I liked being challenged in something with comedy and still getting a laugh out of it. I don't know. It made me... It, it was it was an enjoyable, rough experience. Um, well, it makes you feel accomplished when you did. listen to it. It like, did. Like, I don't know. You've... You kind of felt good about yourself for getting some of these references. Yeah, <laughs> I really jokes. did. I did. I we should talk about like maybe we talked. I think a, a lot of it in general. Uh, the Nick Danger one. The Nick Danger one is probably the most grounded out of all of them. For sure, it is. Because that was more just a full-on story. Story, of right? Yeah. Drama. Um, even then, it has some weird time travel shenanigans that make no sense. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the time travel shenanigans are, are really well handled, though. Yes, it does. It, it handles it in the world as as a uh, in like a science fiction way. It, it's weird. One of the things that they do is when one of the characters asks, like, I can't remember if it's how do you try, how we're we going to time travel, how are we going to go back? And they just say, oh, it's simply, I, I just fade my voice out like this and I cue the organist. And then the <laughs> organist plays and it plays like the, the radio drama. And that's when you go back in time. So it's like a very meta joke. It's a very meta joke. Um, right. But I think it's like, well, I just saw Airplane uh, a few months ago. Uh, actually, for oh, the yeah. first time. And what I liked about it was, one, it's jokes a minute, but it mm-hmm. does things where here's where we're going to talk about exposition for like a minute or two. And it's not necessarily funny, but it lets you be with the characters for a moment. And it's those reprievals that allows you to uh, have the next joke be funnier. And that's right. something in improv for story writers calls, if you do joke after joke after joke after joke, you, you suffer something that might be called laughter hell where people aren't mm-hmm. laughing anymore. You're getting diminishing returns. Um, mm-hmm. For our nerds out there, it's it's like an infinite combo in Marvel versus Capcom 2. But what uh, what it is, is you need you sometimes need those quieter moments in order to really reset the clock. And uh, this album, with I think Nick Danger being a more interesting character than Mr. and Mrs. Smith, uh, you get those moments of just being able to breathe and reprieve, and that way you can find the absurdity, fun idiot, fun the absurdity fun again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it needs like highs and lows. Yeah. Peaks and for drops. it to work. God damn. There's, there's, they have a, a record. I'm just looking because I downloaded this, this file with everything that they've ever done and they have one. Um, yeah. Fires, the Firesign theaters, pink hotel burns down is also very good, but they have one called the, the Ronald Reagan assassination show. I'm <laughs> oh. fucking on board. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, so uh, here's the other question I wanted to, because if I'm going to get into these guys, where can I find that book of the actual written out? It's called the Firesign Theater's Big Book of Plays. I have a copy. Um, If you can't find one, I can just mail you mine. You can just send it back. But uh, it's got like four or five of the plays. But you can also just Google it, because that's what I did, because it doesn't have Nick Danger. 
it has, but if you, you can just Google that shit and it'll show up. Okay, cool. Cause I just, I like the idea of having to go back and finding something new. Every time you go back to something, I enjoy that anytime that I'm watching, whether it's like a comedy special, a movie, TV show, whatever. But I also had a hard time drowning out the cacophony of noise yeah in mm-hmm. in the in a couple of these ones just because yeah my ears aren't trained for this right. form of media the way that you know people have been in the past because this is something you might need like a toe dipping in seminar or just like take it slow yeah it's yeah. really hard to it, i would recommend people start with Temporarily Humboldt County and then um, the further adventures of Nick Danger, because those ones where it is a full contiguous narrative. Yeah. Um, there's another one. I can't remember what album it's off of where it's the one with the four stages of the man's life. And in part of it, they steal his old high school and they f- I somebody gets framed for it. And it's at a rival high school called Communist Martyrs High School. <laughs> oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> There's so um, they, there's a reference to a baby being named um, Malcolm X John Lennon. <laughs> oh that's fuck that's yeah! That's <laughs> uh, oh, by the way, one it. of my favorite jokes, I think, and not to say that the rest of the album isn't good, it is. But uh, the album cover for this one is all uh-huh, hail Marx, Marx and Lennon. Lennon, and it's a picture of Karl Marx and uh, John Lennon. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's Groucho, Groucho Marx. Marx. Groucho and, Marx. And sorry, Lennon. not Karl Marx. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, Car- yeah. Carl Marx is the real one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Carl Marx that's is the fair. real one. This is the real one. As opposed to Groucho Marx, who isn't well, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if I you mean, th- they're both real. In they're their both, own way. They, t- they take matter. Um, <laughs> uh, anyways, yeah. uh, Winslow, if you could learn, take anything to learn from listening to this album that you could use in your comedy, which you state that you have, what would you learn from it? I think it's to call back to the making jokes jagged. Yeah. Um, give things a lot of places to catch on. If somebody doesn't like your punchline, they'll at least laugh at how you got there. And also just making things have a strong emotional narrative and making things a very dense. Because I think that density can be is is hard to achieve, but it can be achieved if you have a strong narrative. Because then people are going to be beat for beat right along with you. Mm-hmm. If you know what's going on in the movie you can follow even if there's all these different scenes and cuts and things like that because you know exactly what's going on and that you know where people are going. Exactly. There's not a lot of screwing around, you know? Yeah. I think I think a newer comic, when they hear density, what that just means to them is just a lot of noise and saying a lot of things that don't relate to each right. other. Yeah, but real density. I don't mean density in words. I mean density in thought, self-contained jokes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. you know yeah because there's definitely fuck that i mean especially in, in chicago there's a lot of comedians that just go up there and shout and they just fill the air because what i've noticed now is that there's a lot of comedians that are one and two years into it that will learn the pattern of comedy but they won't learn how to write actual jokes they they, they it's just like when a child starts to imitate its parents, but it doesn't know what the words mean. Yeah. You know what I mean? When it, when they, um, Cause they I'll see comedians go up there and just have perfect delivery of things that are, there's no twist in it. There's no joke. It's just like, so women, huh? <laughs> wow. And that's the whole thing. That's actually the hardest you know? to watch. I'd rather watch someone's first time bomb and get like a kernel, of joke out there than someone that gets the cadence and says nothing. 
that's mm-hmm. more painful. Mm-hmm. You're essentially the, watching the baby people, pick up the phone yeah. and just babble right. into it because they saw mommy do it. Yeah, so. slap that phone in the baby's hand. No babies in comedy. No babies in comedy. Absolutely not. David, what did you learn? Well, the, 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 what I learned after listening to Winslow's breakdown of it is irrelevant because for a while, the main thing that I took away was just how hard this would be to replicate in a modern Italian mm-hmm. in a modern setting. Now I don't think so anymore. Now I think it's more the giving people something that they, because that's a philosophy that I've tried to put into my own comedy is you might not like my punchline, but you're going to like something that I said in this joke. You're mm-hmm. going to have something that you can take away with it. And it's like, it might not be as emotionally deep or uh, as impactful as some other comedians think, but it's going to give you something to grasp onto. Right. And I think that is uh, the other thing that I took away from this is that some comedy really does not age well, but there are certain, Oh, how, what is the word? I'm trying to think of the word. There are certain things in comedy, uh, certain styles yes. that have always been around, mm-hmm. will always be around. Yes. And understanding that helps you and helps inform you yeah. as a younger comedian yeah. going forward if you know right. that. And learning old styles, uh, personally, I believe, helps you. And maybe it's, sure. you find out what you go into. What I learned is something I mentioned in a previous episode is that absurdity curve. Making sure you're not putting rock bots on cars. And this is a good example of that. But Winslow, you brought it up. And it's something that I think newer comics or even like uh, our age comics, sometimes when they're writing the jokes, they're not thinking about every word. You're right. Mm-hmm. Every word is uh, currency that matters and needs to be spent correctly. And every single word you say is important. Not every single word may be funny, but how you convey the message, how you convey the emotion and the art of it is really important. And I know I'm, I'm going to probably go back on certain jokes that I'm working on and just write everything out and think about every word and how it can be retooled. Cause that right. is how do you get important. to the premise? How do you leave the premise kind of thing? Cause I think newer comics think just punchline setup and it's just broad, but yeah, we got to think about the fine strokes. And I mm. keep telling them it's set up punchline. You got to do it in the right order. <laughs> I'm a rebel, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think back to what David was saying about how it would be hard to, to do this in the modern setting, but you know, in that there, there are ways to do it. What I've seen and what I've read is that the reason why in video games now we see a lot of eight bit and 16 bit um, video games coming back where that's what people really want to play is because the moment that it can be avoided people were going to hearken back to it because it had soul. You know, like yeah. the the early Castlevania games that you play in your Game Boy Advance where you're jumping around this giant castle that you, you play them in, in, in grade school don't have the same evocative soul as the 3D ones where you have this whole beautifully handcrafted world, right? Because the thing is, is Firestone Theater, this stuff was coming out when people, they could have very easily made it for television. Maybe they didn't have the resources. Maybe they weren't popular enough to, to get that kind of thing. But you can work within lesser mediums, um, what we think of as lesser mediums like radio mm-hmm. um, and more restrictive at least, and still find ways to make things work. The moment that you, you give yourself a, a requirement or something that you have to do in order to make your um, comedy fit, you are 
giving yourself this lattice that you can work off of. It's it's the nucleus that allows you to keep growing new things, you know, because mm. you're, you're you you have to have to have a subject. If somebody told me to write a paper on anything, I wouldn't know what the fuck to write about. But if they said you have to write a paper about uh, a significant Irishman, I would write. I would find the weirdest, scariest person in Ireland and write a paper on that. <laughs> exactly. Because I want a rule to break. Yeah. And when you give somebody the requirements, you're giving them a lot of interesting rules to break. And the other thing I want to say was on the note of absurdity is that at the end of the day, a lot of comedians confuse random bullshit with absurdity. And that's not really what it is. Mm-hmm. Absurdity is is much more structured than people think. Yeah, because it it's, it's not chaos because you're not just picking random words and saying them on stage. You're picking unusual, absurd places because it's it's... It's absurdism is not data, right? Yeah. So the, yeah. they, they, they have a lot of goofball bullshit in this, but it's goofball bullshit that actually makes sense, mm. that fits together. Uh, it's just weird. It's still grounded in a reality, and that's what... I mean, unfortunately, absurdity cannot exist without reality because you need something to... Because if you don't have a reality to warp and pervert, essentially, I'm not sure if that's... A, a, correct word for it but if you don't have that then you can't have absurdity because there's no definition for what makes it absurd right the, the reason why this is so successful is because it's got a lot of rules to break like that's why mockumentaries and parodies are so successful and so evocative mm-hmm. because they are Entertaining in the in the sense that the, it's the content that we're looking for because it's if, if it's a video then it's you know this is the show that we want to watch but it's also clever plays on what already exists and its jokes and references that stand alone so it's like three different types of, of entertainment that's that's really what I what I think about the stuff is that it's just like it's genius level writing it really is. It's very smart. I mean, it's I mean, it just, helps that two of the guys went to Yale, right? <laughs> you know, these these guys know what they're doing, and I, I honestly, this is the one thing that when I was first talking to Zach Peterson, um, I asked him, one, did you ever listen to Fireside Theater, and two, did you ever uh, watch Wonder Showsen on MTV Two? Watch what? Um, Wonder Showsen? I don't think I've ever heard about. Oh that shit. Is. Dude, I just opened a fucking can of worms for you. Oh, dude, this is going to melt your fucking brain. Yes! Wonder Chosen is easily 80% of what I think got me into comedy. Because it's, it's fucking intense. It's bizarre. Like, modern, I really think that it's it's influenced a lot of things more than, than we realize. Um, especially modern, like, high-intensity, gross-out, weird bullshit humor. Dude. All right, I'll I'll send you some links if everybody yeah! that's listening to this. Ugh. Just uh, Google Wonder Show Zen. It's Wonder one word, and then Show and Zen is one word. Slave song, and oh, just start with that. I'm gonna go incognito mode. <laughs> yeah, it's it's real weird. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna say that for later. Yeah. But um, we all learned something today, and now I want to learn a little bit more about Winslow. Uh, Winslow, I have some fast five questions for you. Don't think, just do. Uh, what is your favorite sandwich? Fave Sammy. Shit. I like, like a dry turkey, like a, like a Thanksgiving turkey. 
white or dark? Like the, the leftover Thanksgiving turkey that's dried out a little bit. And I get, I can get behind that. I can get behind yeah, that. Yeah, I want something to pull at. I don't like, I don't like turkey. I only like dark meat turkey. I hate dry. I hate the dryness of turkey. That's what gravy's for, motherfucker. <laughs> I also hate gravy. I also hate gravy. I give people like you a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, we talked about how I don't like soup because dirty water. Gravy is just dirty animal fat. All right, next question. <laughs> um, favorite joke that you tell? I, I really, I have a joke about buying my girlfriend a vibrator that's really funny because I have this whole setup. <laughs> I know. This yeah, David, you, you, I think you both have seen it. Uh, maybe. It's a whole it's been setup a explaining. It's it's explaining how strong a Hitachi vibrator is. Yeah, I remember explain, this like, one. <laughs> They used to run on diesel. You know, they used to be used <laughs> to buff out graffiti off of cement walls. And yeah. then I just say, I used a Hitachi on a woman once her glass eye fell out. And that is just like a little throwaway line. But I just think it's one of the funniest fucking things because it's the scariest thing imaginable to happen while you're fucking. <laughs> oh, it's so, um, so gross. <laughs> it's so scary. But I think my, my, old, my old reliable right now is uh, this is my impression of a guy who's uh, really aroused by tragedies responding to a tragedy. Hey, man, I came as soon as I found out. Um, <laughs> I like that one a lot. <laughs> I like that one. That was fun. I like that one a lot. That, that was, that was that's good. good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's a new joke that you're telling right now? And this one's the, the floor is everyone's, but Winslow, you first. New joke that I'm working on. Shit, I should have my book out for that. I think I just want to do more jokes about masculinity and uh, just because I'm, I'm really fucking frustrated right now. And what I, I'm trying to work on this is two things. One, uh, about a man that just came up to me and said, really windy out there. And I'm like, what the fuck am I supposed to say to you in this conversation? I've got nothing to contribute <laughs> to this. And the other one is uh, talk about how my dad was, uh, he was masculine, but he wasn't like tough guy, asshole masculine. He would just come home from work, not say anything to any of us, and then go look at the river for five hours. And that's the entire thing where it's just like, I would just ask my dad, so what do you think about? And he's like, the river. And that's the kind of masculine that he, because that's an extremely <laughs> masculine thing to do. Jeez. That is, that's, that's, that's that mysterious stranger kind of mm -hmm, energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for, for me, a joke that I'm currently working on, I actually had an idea last night when I was at the comedy loft. Uh, I'm not sure how it's going to go. Talk about how I went to Bible camp and there's some things that we did there that were only okay because it was called Bible camp. Like we learned how to navigate and live in the wilderness. We learned how to use weapons and th things like that. And Dude, you joined a militia. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. I'm pretty sure yeah. you did. Yeah, that's exactly part of the joke that I'm working on. Uh, but yeah, the essential premise of being like that, there's no way that would have been able to happen if I had gone to a place called Quran camp. Like that's not yeah. a thing. <laughs> I'm still trying to, um, navigate like puns on stage, but I think that this one's good. Uh, my girlfriend said she wanted rough sex. So I gave her a pretty general outline. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I love that so oh. much. Ah. Yeah. Uh, and the one about, um, it only works through text, but it's basically I, my, I got my mom an edible arrangement for, for yeah, Valentine's I saw that Day, one. That one's like really good. Complex. I'll figure it out. That one's good. Uh, I, um, 
I've been working on a joke about my dad joining the Marines because he got drunk and his friend said, let's do it. Uh, <laughs> and then and then the Marines told my dad's friend, hey, you have a glass eye. You can't join. But hey, John, you're in. This is I think I used a, a vibrator on your dad's friend. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say there's probably this is the most glass eye talk we've ever had on an episode. I know. I know. This podcast really breaking it open. <laughs> That and I'm retooling that uh, eating at local, uh, eating local, uh, no tomatoes on my Sammy, please. Yeah, joke. that's that's a fun one. I'm thinking about just playing up the cutesiness of the last sentence and like almost going Shirley Temple on it. Okay, Good yeah. For, yeah. I, I don't know. We, we didn't need that in. Depth it's gonna life. make me uncomfortable, <laughs> but I'm gonna try. Um, biggest bomb wins though. Probably that I mean, one. Shit, if we're talking bombs, I made a lot of bombs when I was living in North <laughs> Omaha. <laughs> I had access to the sewer and I would just go down there and make like homemade bombs and stuff. But you're probably talking comic. I, I yeah, don't know not, if we not should domestic terrorism. We're I talking. don't know if we should have had that recorded. <laughs> oh, okay, I live in Chicago. What are they going to do? Send a horse after me? I don't know. For biggest bomb, I just I've had a span like a spate of of kind of miserable experiences at at uh, at open mics recently. So it's kind of like turned me off of mics for a minute so I, i'm just so much more focused on my my illustration right now but i think it's biggest probably all of the early shows that that ian douglas terry and okay party put me on because they just put me on because i i think they put me on because i was just a fucking lunatic and i was really weird but i was just not ready to be on a bigger show and so i was just saying the weird bullshit that i did at mike's but in front of in front of like paying audiences, and I didn't know what to do with that. Making, but yeah, but it's been a while since I had like an actual arranged show and not do well. There's always a good place to get to when you're not struggling with that anymore. Because making that transition of just hey, I'm not doing just goofy weird stuff anymore for free audiences. People are like actually paying. Like this is a date night for some of these people. Right, this is what they chose to do with their evening. That's a huge adjustment to make. I don't know. You did pretty well on some of those OK Party shows that I remember. Like that, didn't you win a battle royale once? That, that was my first. Comedy? I was doing comedy for like three months, and they put me on a battle royale, and I won. That was pretty tight. Yeah. That's, <laughs> so, so not all of them were just horrible messes. A lot of them, uh, some of them worked out for you. Yeah. Uh, why do you tell jokes? Because <sighs> I'm frustrated. I think, and frustration kind of leads to exaggeration and exaggeration is the first part of a joke exaggeration and a surprise okay. so i think that because i'm really frustrated with a lot of things and i have been for a long time for, for a while i was frustrated with my love life you know frustrated with my own self and now i'm frustrated with my success um like not going fast enough and not having enough time so i think it's really just crying out um out of how upset i am with with the world but I try to do it in a way that's not just another fucking dipshit white guy yelling about how the world's not fair. Anything to promote, by the way, Winslow? I've got the third edition of my deck of tarot cards that will be coming out later this summer. You can find everything on winslowdomain.com. And I've got uh, Twitter is uh, at winslowdomain and my Instagram is at calculations. I, I've been meaning to ask you about that. Why calculations on Instagram? I picked calculations as a screen name when I was on my first web forum back in maybe 
2005, I joined Manson USA for it was a uh, Marilyn Manson fan forum. Oh, that that seems on brand. Yeah, and so I picked calculations because people always said that seemed like I was just like doing math in my head because I wasn't talking to people. I would just be like planning things. <laughs> uh, oh. And so I picked calculations, and I've used that for forever. And people have offered to buy that screen name from me have for like really? tens of thousands of dollars, but I don't. You know, I don't trust a random fucking account with seven followers to actually give me money. Yeah, that, yeah. that's that's shady as fuck. That's weird. But why yeah. calculations? That's so weird. He just explained because it. It, they just do a dictionary search for like any whole word. Oh, so like, it. if you have like your name is like lizard, you know, was a, one that was kind of famously stolen because your name's Elizabeth and you're the first person to put a, a screen of lizard. Then you know that's how you secure it. Great. So that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That's what that was the why I was asking. Okay, Not I thought you were. I thought you were asking the why he picked the name thing. I was like, did you just tune out for no. five minutes? No, not yet. <laughs> um, well, it's been a blast, uh, David. It's been okay. Uh, as always, Jeremy. <laughs> as always. As always. Um, and that's been our episode. Uh, so, Shakabra. Shakabra. Thank you, Winslow. Thank you, Winslow. Later, man. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. And if you want to follow us on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, just search Running the Light for more information about our show. Thanks. Thanks.